Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who might not know me, my name is Mike Durr. Uh, me and my wife, Melissa, have been uh, members of Joy for, I think, just over 21 years. So um, it is my privilege this morning to be reading our sermon passage, which can be found on page 815 in the Pew Bible, which is uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves mother or father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is a, a weighty passage, a hard passage to, to hear, but one that we need to hear. Um, Lord, I, I do pray that you will be with Jason as he comes. I pray that he will speak your words, um, that he will be your servant this morning as he brings the word to us. I pray that we will be ready to hear, that we will be ready to listen, um, even uh, if we feel convicted, and I'm sure we will feel convicted, Lord, that we will not put it, these things aside as they're too difficult to hear, but that we will take it to heart. And we're ready to learn, that we're ready to become more Christ-like, that we're ready to follow after you. Lord, I just thank you again uh, for Jason and his uh, service to us this morning. And, and just thank you for your grace, uh, your grace that, that brings us here as a church family. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Mike. It struck me as, um, as Mike was reading... Uh, that I'm extremely thankful Mike did not mention this, but Mike is a former elder here at Joy. And uh, I'm extremely grateful to be able to say that all of our former elders are still regular attending members and active and vital in ministry at Joy. You know, it's, it's probably a rarity to say that, yeah, some of our leaders stepped down and they're still here. Uh, and and I, I can't say how thankful, I can say it, I'm going to say it. I'm extremely thankful for the example, uh, the faithfulness of, of many of our former, and you never know, future elders uh, uh, to the, and their service to this body. As Mike prayed, this is a difficult passage of Scripture. But we can't shy away from difficult passes, uh, passages of Scripture, Right? All of Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is without error, and all of it is useful. But you know what I really like? I like when people like me. I like when people think highly of me. I like when people have nice things to say about me. And the closer these people are to me, neighbors, teammates, maybe my fellow coaches in sports, friends, family, 
the more their love and approval means. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I'm not alone in that. Here we are in week two of our Advent series, preparing our hearts for the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ to earth. And we're, con- we're considering uh, this month some of the various reasons why Jesus came, using Jesus' own words about why he came. And at the outset here, consider how amazing that is. Just that statement. Jesus gave reasons why he came to earth. No one else does that. Have you ever thought about that? Kids, if somebody asked you today, hey, why did you come to earth? What would you say? Say, well, I, I was born. I, I just was here. I had no choice in the matter. I just showed up. Here I am. Jesus is saying, I came for this purpose. Jesus saying why he came tells us that his coming to earth, his incarnation as fully God and fully man was purposeful. He came, he came from somewhere else and he came for a reason. And today, Mike read that Jesus came not to bring peace, but a sword. Before we dive into that statement, a little context for us, because we typically don't just parachute right into the middle of a passage of Scripture to preach a sermon. Uh, Today, we did. Here in Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send his 12 apostles out to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to their fellow Jews. He has told them what to do. Early in the chapter, proclaim the good news, heal, cleanse, raise the dead, cast out demons. He has reminded them that the Lord will provide everything they need for their journey. And he has also alerted them to the fact that they will not always be well received. Some might deliver them over to courts and have them flogged in synagogues and drag them before governors and kings for the sake of Jesus' name. But they don't need to be worried, Jesus said, because the Holy Spirit would give them words to speak, and the God who takes care of the sparrows would take care of them too. Jesus continues to ratchet the heat up even further with today's passage. His instructions are for the 12 in this particular instance, but they are certainly for all of us. They carry forward to all believers today. Throughout the scriptures, the people of God are called to deny themselves and to be willing to endure suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. He came to bring a sword. So one of the questions that's before us this morning is this. Is Jesus worthy of us taking up our cross and following him? Is Jesus worthy of us taking up our cross and following him. With the rest of our time, I want to consider three parts of this passage. The sword, the call, and the Christ. The sword, the call, and the Christ. So first things first. What is with this sword stuff? 
What is with this do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth stuff? Isn't this exactly why Jesus came? Isn't, don't we sing? Like it's Christmas time, right? We're saying peace on earth and mercy, right? Isn't this guy called the prince of peace? Aren't the scriptures filled with statements about how he will give us peace, how he's going to make peace? Paul himself, Paul says that he himself is our peace. Aren't we supposed to be peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace, is what it says in James. Don't worry. Don't cancel your Christmas. Don't think you've been sold a bill of goods. All of those things are still true. But one of God's rebukes of his prophets and priests in Jeremiah 6 was this. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. These wicked teachers profited off of their people, telling them that everything was fine. While they all lived in wickedness, all stood under the judgment of God, all were about to face both his earthly and eternal judgment against their sins. The ones who should have been warning them and setting the example of confession and repentance were saying, everything's fine. Everything's good. God's not angry. Just keep living. There's not going to be any judgment. We're not going to get taken into captivity. God's not mad at us. Because they could line their pockets with teaching like that. Keep living the way you're living. Everything's fine. People really like it when you tell them what they want to hear. But what will that profit them when the truth is revealed? Nothing. When you think of a sword, what comes to mind? Kids, sword, what comes to mind? Pain, okay. Stabbing. All right, others who are not over in this corner? I'm looking for something specific. All right, the sword and the stone comes to mind. All right, that's good. I like that. How about like, oh, Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Never know what you're going to hear. Power. Sword of the Spirit. So, uh, sword of the Spirit. Good, good church answer. What else? Battle. Did I hear somebody say battle back there? Daniel Crispin. You got it. A battle. Jesus came to bring a sword because there is a division. He came to bring a sword because there is a battle between light and darkness. He did come to bring peace, but in a dark world, peace will come through battle. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Hebrews 4.12. Jeff read it at the beginning of the service. Simeon's words to Mary and Joseph from Luke chapter 2. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the sword that Jesus came to bring. The word of Jesus causes division. Jesus said it in chapter 6 of Luke, woe to you, like the most counterintuitive. Woe to you what? When all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. It's important for us to remember that people by nature hate God. God is a threat. He threatens our self-rule. He makes it so that I have to answer to a higher authority than myself. He might not be what or who I want him to be. You want to talk to me about a God who high fives everything I do, who tells me I'm perfect in every way and, tell, and agrees with every single decision I make and how I choose to live my life? Now that's the kind of God. Tell me about that God. Of course, we know who that God is. You. But start to speak of the one true God who is worthy of and demands our humble worship with every aspect of our lives. Tell people the good news of Jesus Christ who offers forgiveness of sins to all who believe, show people from the word of God that they are sinners who fall short of the glory of God, that they are not their own gods, and the sword strikes. Jesus was sending them out to their brethren, sending them to show and tell good news, good news of the kingdom of heaven. They were to tell their brethren that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And as they went, they could expect both joyful reception and hate-filled rejection. Same message. The aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others. But Jesus turns it up even further, by saying they could expect hate-filled rejection even from those who they love most. Because they were being nasty people? Is that why? I've said it many times. Prayed it. I think, was it Larry that said it last week too? Maybe? It wasn't Larry. Well, I preached last week. <laughs> it's been a long week. That guy was great, though, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, 
What a preacher. Uh, didn't, didn't have much of a voice. Uh, <laughs> it's not a mark of honor to be hated because we're nasty people. That's not suffering for the gospel. That's suffering because we're nasty people. But Jesus tells his apostles, there are going to be people who hate you just because of the message you're bringing. Because the word of Jesus divides. In this room, there are quite a few who have felt the weight of that. And we can affirm, as we did in the pastoral prayer, that there are those around the world who are suffering in ways that we can't even imagine because of their faith, who are being removed from their, their families and their communities, being put to death for their faith. But that doesn't mean that the things that we go through are less real. And it is painful when family members reject us for our faith. And it is painful when we are thought of as fools, spoken of as fools, losing friendships, maybe losing relationships with neighbors or coworkers because of the message of Jesus. Some of you have literally been cut off from your family. Some have been marginalized or spoken ill of, not because you're unloving, but because of your faith in Christ. Because the word of Christ cuts at people's hearts in a way that they don't like. Because the word of God threatens the kingdom of self. If people who oppose the Lord truly thought that there were no God or that there was zero validity to any of the claims of Jesus, it seems rather odd that their response would be one of anger. You would, feel, you would think the response you get is like pity, like that's sad that you still hang on to that. But the word of the Lord and the word of Jesus, even the good news of Jesus, has the ability to arouse in people emotions that make you say, a, a button has been pushed, a nerve has been touched, and they know that they're going to have to give account before this God, and they don't want to face that reality. Let me just live my life. Stay out of my face. Anger is the proper response for one who has been sliced by a sword. Jesus says, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is not our goal by any means. But sometimes it's the product of our ministry. In light of that reality, knowing that some may receive us joyfully and others may reject us hatefully and others still might laugh us off as fools, what does Jesus call his apostles and us to do? He tells us in verse 38, take your cross and follow him. And this is one of those phrases that, you know, it's a church phrase. We take up your cross and follow me. But, but the meaning of it and the depth of it is probably obscured on us. You know, we don't, we don't spend our, we got a cross right here. 
we don't spend a lot of time meditating on crosses. We don't deal with a society that uses crosses. But what is a cross? A cross is a device that was used by the hated Romans for the humiliation, torture, and ultimate death of criminals and other folks who needed to be made an example of. This passage marks the first time in the book of Matthew that Jesus would refer to the cross. He hasn't even told his disciples to this point that he himself is going to the cross. So when he said cross, take up your cross, they would immediately be thinking torture, humiliation, death. Who would aspire to that? Again, we like adulation. We like pats on the back. We like all the good stuff. The way of the cross tells us that pain can be expected. Take up your cross means trouble may come. Take up your cross means humble suffering if it must be so for the sake of Jesus' name. Take up your cross. Now, what on earth would make a person willing and able to suffer for the name of Christ? Who wants to live like that? Put yourself, I mean, the disciples had to be just blown away by that analogy. Take up your cross. It's like the worst thing I can think of. What on earth would make a person willing and able to suffer for the name of Christ like that? Jesus gives us a clue in verse 37 and verse 39. In verse 37, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's a hard one. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who could say stuff like that? Like if I walked in here today, I was like, listen, folks, thank you for being here. If you don't love me more than you love your family, just get out. What would, you, what would happen to me? Tomorrow I'd be fired. Or people would say, like, something's wrong with you. I think Jason like, ate something bad last night. I don't know. That's a crazy thing to say, right? If you don't love me more than your family, you're not worthy of me. Only a maniac or God can say that. Those are your choices. In verse 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So two motivations I see Jesus pushing on here, love and worship. Who can take up their cross and follow him? The one who loves him and worships him. He hits the strongest of ties that exist in this world. Parents and children. He says, if you love your kids more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Only God can demand such love. And he is God. He deserves and demands our highest love and worship. He demands and deserves our worship of him alone. There are no contenders for his throne. 
You will not pick up your cross and follow Jesus wherever he leads if your love for other things and other people exceeds your love for him. If you worship your children, you will not do what Abraham did in the passage Jeff read earlier. Now, side note, if you're here especially as a visitor or maybe you're exploring the faith, we are not advocating child sacrifice. However, the Lord required Isaac of Abraham. What if he demanded your most precious treasure from you? Not to lay on the altar and sacrifice, but to lose? To have them reject you? To have you maybe tell them that for too long they have been the center of your solar system when the Lord himself demands that allegiance and worship. hard when he pushes those buttons and he says you know your kids aren't your god your spouse isn't your god and if your spouse is your god and if your kids are your god you need to repent if everything in your life is driven by allegiance to something other than the lord himself we have to repent And it hits home. This isn't just a word, I hope I'm making clear, I'll say it even clearer, this isn't just a word for parents. This is a word for everyone who professes to follow Jesus Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. Is Jesus worthy of such allegiance, kids? Who are following Christ? Is Jesus deserving of such love that we would be willing to forsake our other gods, our other loves, if it meant serving him? Of course he is. We've sung, he alone is worthy. Give me Jesus. And in a few minutes, Jesus is my life. These aren't, this isn't like religious sentiment for a Sunday morning. This is what we are called to believe, where we must live. Jesus is the object of unbroken praise in heaven. Jesus is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth, King of kings, Lord of lords. And the easy answer is yes, of course he's worthy. Of course he's worthy of whatever he asks for from us, right? He could ask us for anything and he's worthy. Love, worship, singing his praises in a world that opposes him, suffering if it must be so. We are called to take up our cross in an act of love and worship, come what may. No exceptions. He is worthy. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you know this. I know that this resonates with your hearts. This call on our lives is real, yet it is certain that this passage 
Talk about the word of God being a sword that lays us bare. A passage like this. If you're a believer in Christ in this room, and you're saying, yeah, I don't see much in there that's very convicting. Then you are not hearing the word of the Lord. Because this thing cuts us open and lays us out. Who among us can stand up this morning and say, I have loved Jesus perfectly. I have treasured him as he deserves to be treasured. Uh, he, uh, he said he's worthy of all praise. Guess what? This week, I gave him all the praise. Everything I got. Without fail. Without flaw. Who among us can say, I never lived for the praise of man. I've never shied away from a painful scenario just because I prefer to keep my mouth shut. Because keeping my mouth shut means no problems. And we can talk about the weather. Who among us has done the calculations and decided it's not worth it to speak the word of Christ because I don't want to deal with the consequences? Guys, just think, like, I'm at dinner the other night with my cousins who have heard me pray many times. Why didn't, why didn't we pray before dinner? We were out to dinner. I want to say I forgot. And I think, like, yeah, I didn't forget. I don't usually forget. Maybe I got involved in conversation and thought, you know what? Well, eh, small thing, but why? Why didn't I say something? All of us fall somewhere in this category, and it's not okay. It's not okay. We've sinned. We've sinned. Our love is weak. Our worship is weak. It's not what it ought to be anyway. But take heart this morning, brothers and sisters, because the call to take up our crosses comes from the one who would first take up his. When Jesus says, take up your cross, he adds the very important clause, what? Take up your cross and follow me. The disciples of Jesus are called to line up behind him, fixing our eyes on him. The cross that Jesus carried and died upon was not like our crosses, though. Jesus was the only one who could bear his cross. Jesus walked the way of the cross on this earth. He came and lived without sin. He worshiped God above all always, without flaw, without sin. Every thought and every deed and every word. He did not live for the praise of people, but for the praise of God. He spoke the word of God. He called people to repent and believe in him that they might have forgiveness and hope. He was hated by some for his message, but he loved all. He came as a servant, humble and gentle, but bold, proclaiming the truth. Jesus was falsely convicted and sentenced to death 
on a cross. He told his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. He told his disciples, we have three recorded times at least in the Gospels, in each of the Gospels, where, well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where Jesus says, I'm going to die on a cross. And they don't get it. Jesus was falsely convicted and sentenced to death on a cross, completely innocent, suffering the humiliation of this death. And beyond that, this death was happening so that the very sword of the judgment of God would pierce him. Jesus experienced the sword that temporarily removed him from fellowship with God the Father for the first time ever. Jesus died for that great end. Why? Not because of anything that he had done, but to bear the penalty that our sins deserve. He was suffering for us. He was suffering for our lovelessness. He was suffering for our self-worship. He was suffering to turn the righteous wrath of God against our sin into favor from God for the one who believes. To bring real peace, not peace, peace where there is no peace, but real peace between God and his enemies. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when he had died, he said it was finished. The price had been paid. And on the third day, this would all be vindicated by his victorious resurrection from the grave. A sure sign that all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus' cross was one that none of us were called to or able to carry. He alone carried it. He alone bore its weight. And he did so that we might know life. The one who seeks to keep his life, who thinks that ultimate life is found in the things of this world, the, that person is going to lose their life. They're going to see that all of it was empty. All of it was done in the presence of a God who demanded their allegiance and worship. And true life and joy are found in allegiance to him and worship of him. He is our supreme treasure. That's what we've been talking about. All these things, love and worship... God calls us to love and worship him, to see him as more valuable than any treasures of this world. The Apostle Paul said it well in Philippians chapter 3. I'll just read a few verses from it. Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The person who heeds the call to faith in the Lord Jesus, the person who can say that along with the Apostle Paul, this person has found true life. Following Jesus means following him, first of all, to his cross. Being reminded that what we have in him and through his finished work is real and true and better than we might lose for follow, better than what we might lose for following him. Even if it means we lose what is most precious on this earth to us. None of us wants that, and that is not our aim. But he alone is worthy if it must be so. He came to bring a sword, and he came to experience the sword for us. Would you pray with me? Father, these are hard words. And uh, I'm sure at various places we were convicted and challenged and encouraged by your word. Where your Holy Spirit's at work in us, help us not to, to quiet that. It's easy to feel conviction for a moment and then let it go. But Father, where we have treasured other things above you, forgive us. Where we have thought that it is too difficult, it's not it's not worth it. It's not worth the trouble or the anxiety or the heartache or the pain. Remind us that for you, all things are worth it. Remind us that what we have in you is better by far than even the greatest treasures this world has to offer. Even the closest relationships of this world. It is not our desire for them to be broken, Lord, but if it must be so, for your name's sake, grant us the grace to endure. But I thank you also, Father, that Jesus did what we cannot do. We are called to take up our cross. But our cross is not one that saves. We are incapable of saving ourselves. And so we thank you, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, to bear the cross that we cannot bear. If we were to bear it, it would take an eternity for us to suffer the consequences of our sin. And Jesus bore an eternity of consequences on the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you that life is found in Jesus Christ. May we be at rest knowing that today, that Jesus is our life. And may all that we do be a response of worship by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
You alone are worthy. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.